Our passage today comes from Luke 4, 14 through 30. You can find it behind me or on page 11 of your bulletin. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And all the eyes and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Emily. Okay. It's good to be with you all this afternoon. Kids, if you would grab your children's bulletin, give you a couple of things to listen for. The first one is a helicopter. Second one is a statue. And the third one is an outsider. So helicopter, statue, and an outsider. Oh, let me, uh, let me pray, and then we'll get started. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of, word of God stands forever. Lord, we thank you for your word, that it is truth and life to us. We pray that you would speak to us through it by your spirit, that you would make Jesus more beautiful and believable to us, that our hope and our trust and our confidence in him would grow. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Um, do you do all remember when Sonny Dykes got introduced as the TCU head football coach? Y'all remember that night? Um, it involved a helicopter. Uh, if you don't know, you need to Google it. Um, go find it on YouTube or something. Imagine the stadium. It's at night. It's all lit up, all these amazing colors, right? And this helicopter, TCU brand, I didn't even know TCU had a, heli- had a helicopter, but TCU drops this helicopter into the stadium and it lands and Sonny and his family come out, right? It's this amazing, it's like big time program kind of stuff, right? Um, 
And he also had a uh, press conference, right, associated with his introduction. And uh, he said what you might come to expect, but um, he said this. I'm actually going to read this quote. I think it's helpful. Uh, He said thank you to all sorts of folks. And then he says this. You know, I think the thing that we've got to do here, and our goal from the very beginning, is to play and win championships. I talked to our players yesterday, and that's our standard. Our standard is to compete for and win championships. Now, I don't know that if you, like, got Sonny in an honest moment, and you said, hey, do you think within... 12 months, you'd actually be playing for a national championship. I'm not sure he would ever cop to that, but that's the standard. We are going to play for championships. Everything in the program is designed to win and win big. Uh, There's a little bit of that kind of a moment here in the Gospel of Luke, okay? We're sort of in this transitional passage, Right, we, we, the first couple chapters of Luke, we actually haven't looked at those just yet. Um, we will, during Advent, tell us all about Jesus' arrival, right, his birth. Um, and, and then we get this passage where he's baptized, if you remember. Um, and then last week, uh, Brian looked at his temptation, where he's in the wilderness and tempted uh, by Satan. And so now... We come to the beginning of his ministry, and Luke, we know about Luke that he's a doctor, he's really sharp, really smart, um, and he is trying to lay out this very clear uh, case for why Jesus is the Messiah. And he gives us great details, and he orchestrates the gospel in such a way that we would understand from the very beginning what, it was about, what Jesus' ministry was all about. And so that's exactly what we get right here. Jesus comes out of the wilderness, verse 14, and he returns in the power of the Spirit. The Spirit is at work in him, just like the Spirit was at work in him in the wilderness. Jesus' Spirit is at work in him in Galilee. And a report goes out around all the surrounding country. He's teaching in the synagogues and being glorified by everyone that he comes into contact with. And through his travels in northern Israel, he comes back to Nazareth, his hometown. And he goes into the synagogue, and he is going to read from the Old Testament about his purpose. And we're going to learn three things in our passage today, Um, grown-ups, if you're following along. We're going to look at Jesus' identity, his purpose, and his target. Okay, so as we unfold this passage, we're going to see who Jesus really is, what he came to do, and who he came to do it for. There are a couple of interesting things that happened during this service. It was the custom of the day that the scripture, right, now we wouldn't, they didn't have scriptures like we do, right? A book, you open it to the page, and there, there are chapter titles and headings and numbers and all of that. Would have been on a scroll, and so someone handed to Jesus the scroll of Isaiah, And he finds, rolls it down to Isaiah 61. And he begins to read from there a couple of verses from Isaiah 61. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, 
Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he does something amazing. He might preach the shortest, it's certainly the shortest sermon in the history of the Bible, right? In all of the Bible sermons. Um, You guys might wish that we did that a little more often around here. But Jesus then says a nine-word sermon. He reads this, and he says, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, we've got to do a little bit of Old Testament homework to understand what Jesus is saying. It may sound like he's saying, I've come to do good things, and that's certainly part of what he's doing, but it's way more loaded than that. The, the, the book of Isaiah, if you've never had a chance to read it, it's really long. Uh, it's pretty complicated in spots, but it is well worth your time. And it tells of the prophet Isaiah speaking to the Israelites who were in exile of the coming anointed one. The Messiah, God had not given up on his people. His dis- their disobedience had not separated them from God. God still had made these covenant promises to Israel and says, I am going to bring someone to, to rescue you. I'm going to bring someone who is going to carry all of, the, all of your hopes and all of your dreams. And he is going to come and he is going to fix everything that's broken. And that's what Jesus says in this synagogue in Nazareth. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. It's a remarkable statement that Jesus would say right here at the beginning of his ministry, all of the promises that you were given by God through his prophets in the Old Testament, all of them are fulfilled in me. It's here that the people speak well of him and marvel at the gracious words coming from his mouth. They're excited. Maybe it's just because of the short sermon. Maybe it's because someone from their hometown is making it big. Uh, You know, there could be a lot of reasons. It doesn't seem likely that they really understood what it meant that Jesus is the Messiah. And they begin to question, isn't that Joseph's son? Uh, Ralph Davis, one of the commentators, says that if, you, if, if this was the guy who was helping his dad build your kitchen table, you might not expect him to be the anointed one, right? You might not expect that that guy, right, that built the cabinets and the shelves in your kitchen would be the Messiah, so they start to question, what's actually happening here? What's going on? And Jesus knows this, and he begins to speak a proverb to them. And he says, if you want to understand what it means that I'm the Messiah, you have to understand what I've come to do and who I've come to do it for. You have to understand my purpose and the target. And he says, doubtless, you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. What Jesus is saying is that word of him has spread. 
miracles that he's done, right? Remember, Luke has moved this account that Matthew and Mark both put later in the ministry of Jesus. He's moved it right up to the front so that we would hear what Jesus' purpose was. But doubtless, the people of Nazareth would know some of what he's done in other places. And so they are thinking, okay, certainly if he was kind, if he did these miracles in Capernaum, What's he going to do for us? He's certainly going to do more for us, right? We're in Nazareth. This is his hometown. He's going to do more for us. And Jesus says, that's not how it's going to work. He says, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. He understands what they're looking for. They're looking for signs and wonders. They want to be impressed. They really maybe want freedom from the Romans. Remember, the Israelites were oppressed by the Romans in this time. And the, the, the normal, the, the um, expected performance of the Messiah would have been to, to free the Israelites from Roman oppression. To overthrow the Romans and, and give the Israelites their freedom. So they're getting a little impatient. Jesus, do these things for us, right? Messiah for us. If you say you're the Messiah, then then do it. Show us. And Jesus says, you don't understand why I've come. You don't understand my purpose. Let's go back to Isaiah 61, verse 18 in, in Luke 4. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, Jesus' ministry was a preaching and teaching ministry. It may seem strange. In the midst of all of the things that Jesus could have done, right, and did in his miracles, the thing that lasts, the thing that he really came to do was to preach and to teach us more about the kingdom of God. So he comes to preach, to proclaim good news to the poor, sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind. Jesus' purpose is to come into our darkness, to come into the brokenness of this world and set everything to rights. To take every broken thing and put it back together. Where there is poverty, he brings justice and provisions. Where there's captivity, he brings freedom from oppression He brings recovery of sight to the blind to give freedom, liberty to those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That phrase may sound familiar to you. Maybe um, if if you studied Leviticus lately, you would know exactly what that term means. It's in Leviticus 25. If you want to go check it out later, you can hear about the year of Jubilee. In the Old Testament, the way that God has structured society for the Israelites was that every seven years, they were to have a rest year, a Sabbath year. They would work uh, in the sixth year and receive double of what they would need to last them for the sixth year and the seventh year. And they would rest in the seventh year from their labors, from their farming. Um, And they would uh, trust in the Lord and rest in his goodness and his care and his provision. And then every seventh seven years, right, the 50th year, was called the year of Jubilee. It was the year when you rested 
not just from your labors, not just trusting in God, but everything was put back together. If you had debts, they were canceled. If you had sold yourself into indentured servitude because of a debt, it was, you, it was canceled. If you had sold property, it was returned to the rightful order, the way that things were set up when uh, the Israelites were first established as a people. And every 50 years, you had this year of the Lord's favor where everything would be put back to the way it was supposed to be. And it's this foretaste, it's this moment, this year of jubilee, of favor, that Jesus comes and says, this is what I'm about. Stepping into the brokenness of the world and making things right. Bringing freedom and liberty and justice and mercy and grace to my people. It's this beautiful picture for us of what Jesus is to be about. He's not, he's not afraid of your doubts. He's not afraid of your questions. He is not afraid of your actions. He steps into those moments. He identifies with the poor and the oppressed, with the captives, with the blind. And he brings freedom and release proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. That's why Jesus has come. It's this beautiful, all-encompassing, worldwide mission of undoing everything that's been wrong and putting it back together again. To bringing wholeness and shalom back to the world. But Jesus goes on in this passage, and he talks about who he's coming for. And this is where things begin to turn. The, the people of Nazareth begin to not respond quite as favorably to Jesus at this point. Now, you've got, we've got to do a little more Old Testament homework. Uh, we're going to try to get there in just a second. He says, verse 25, In truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. Now he's telling this story from 1 Kings 17 about Elijah, the prophet. And he's saying that there was this great drought. And in the midst of the drought, certainly there were widows uh, all throughout the land of Israel, but Elijah is sent by God to a Gentile, to a pagan, poor, widowed woman. And he cares for her and provides for her needs. And then he goes on, verse 27, and there were many lepers in the land of Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And that's a story from 2 Kings 5, where Naaman, a pagan, right, from Syria, um, he comes to Israel, and Elisha gives him instructions on how to be healed from his leprosy. And Jesus is saying, certainly there were countless people suffering from leprosy in Israel, and yet Elisha only went 
to the Syrian, to the outsider, to the one who wasn't from Israel. Verse 28, when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. Now that, it, it loses something for us, right? We're like, wait, what's wrong with these? Why, Jesus is telling Bible stories. Why would they want to throw him off a cliff? It just, it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't compute. Here's what Jesus was saying to these folks of Nazareth. Uh, and they, they understood exactly what he meant. Uh, it's a combination here. Jesus is saying, to get to them, the people I came for, I'm going past you to get to them. I'm going past the Israelites, past the Nazarites, past the folks of Nazareth to the outsider. My mission is bigger than just you guys who think you deserve it. I'm going to the outsider. I'm going to the poor, to the widowed, to the ones who can't fight for themselves, to the ones who are oppressed. I'm going to them with my purpose of bringing freedom, of bringing justice and righteousness, proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. the Israelites would have missed this message. They wouldn't have understood what it meant that Jesus had a scope bigger than them. It was about them in their minds. The Messiah, he's the one who's gonna come and free me from my problems, right? It's a small vision. And what Jesus is coming says is, nope, I've got a cosmic scope. And it involves not just the Israelites. You were meant to be blessed. You were blessed and meant to be a blessing to those people. But I am coming as the true Israelite, the one who will bring the blessing to the rest of the world, to those who are outsiders, those who know that they're broken, those who know that they can't put themselves back together or provide for themselves or free themselves or get rid of their own oppression. I am coming for them. And the people are filled with wrath and they rise up to try to throw him off a, off a cliff. Now we don't get the story here of how Jesus gets away. That would be awesome. We'll have to find that one out later. But Jesus gets away from them. But if this is a picture for us too of what it will look like when another band of Jews who don't understand why Jesus has come and they trap him and oppress him and beat him and give him a, a mock trial and ultimately kill him, he does not get away from them. This is just a, a foretaste. You see how Luke is setting the table for us for everything that's gonna unfold in the rest of his gospel? It points forward to the day when Jesus won't get away, where he will voluntarily give himself as a sacrifice for his people. Now, what do we, what do we make of this? A couple of couple of things. Um, there, is this, um, there is this statue 
in Brazil, maybe you've seen it, the Christ the Redeemer statue, right? Maybe some of you have even been there. Uh, it's a bucket list uh, place to visit for sure. But it has this gigantic 100 foot tall, 100 foot wide statue of Jesus with his hands out like this. You know, it's up on the, on the um, top of this mount, huge mountain. And it's beautiful, and it has all sorts of symbolism, and it's great, uh, right? Jesus is, is reaching his hands out, um, you know, calling people to himself. Uh, he is the one who's come, but the reality in Rio de Janeiro is that right at the base of that mountain is probably the world's worst slum. It's probably the worst of all living accommodations like, that you could ever imagine, and the picture, the sort of dichotomy that you get of this statue way up on this mountain, pristine, right, this white uh, statue, uh, and then you have this, like, just filth and this uh, really uh, just incredibly horrible living conditions for, for thousands and thousands and thousands of people. You get this picture that Jesus is actually far away, removed from those problems, and I think the first lesson here of what, what we can take away from this is that that is not the Jesus of the Bible. That is not Luke's Jesus. Luke's Jesus is in it with us. And so if you are broken, if you are here tonight as an outsider, Luke's Jesus, the, the Jesus of the Bible is here for you, in it with you. As in it as he could be, so in it that he is willing to go to the cross for you. Uh, if you're an outsider here tonight, it's interesting. Maybe, maybe you picked up on this, maybe you didn't. If you look in your bulletin back on page 10 at the Old Testament passage, we read more of Isaiah 61 than, than Jesus quotes in Luke. If you go to verse two, it says to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and then Jesus stops. He stops his reading right there. And the next phrase is the phrase that he leaves out. The day of vengeance of our God. If you're an outsider here tonight, you may think that in your brokenness, in all of your trouble, in the things that you've done that are unspeakable or that you're so ashamed of that, that Jesus is just coming with this huge hammer. This day of vengeance is coming for you. And what Jesus does in this passage, he leaves that phrase out. Now, Jesus will come the second time, and that is a, a day of judgment. He will come and judge the world. And those who are in him will be free. Those who are in him will know eternal peace. Jesus is saying here, I've come this first time not to be vengeance, but to bear vengeance. He's come as the one who takes that on himself. And so you're invited However much of an outsider you may feel tonight, you are invited to the one who bore 
the penalty that you deserved, the vengeance that you deserved. And now's the time to come to him. Lastly, let me say this. Our great hope is not in our own ability to save ourselves, to manage our oppression, right? To keep things just as, as, as kosher as we can keep them, as keep, just try to keep the peace for as long as we can. Jesus has come knowing everything about us, identifying with our brokenness, proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. There is a day coming, friends, especially friends who are struggling, there is a day coming when Jesus will set everything to rights. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. He will bring full and final liberty to the captives. He will make right every injustice. And we can have great hope in him. And as his followers, as Christians, who've put our faith and trust in him, now our job, our role is to be agents of that freedom and liberty, agents of that justice and mercy in the world where we can. Um, this is just a, a small commercial for Sunday school tonight where we, in the adult Sunday school class, are talking more about justice and mercy. What does it look like for us to participate as Christ followers in the justice and mercy that he brings to the world. I invite you, not just to that, but to him, to the one who provides all that we need, who gives us his grace. We are recipients of his welcome, and now we can go and extend that welcome to others. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you that you so very clearly gave us your purpose for sending Jesus. That you used Luke to fashion these words. That you used the scriptures of Isaiah to give us an understanding of why you came. Lord, we recognize that we can't save ourselves and we look to you as the one who did all of the work necessary to save your people and to build your kingdom here on earth. We pray for those who are outsiders, that they would come maybe even today to a saving knowledge of the one who brings great hope and justice and freedom and liberty. Father, for those of us who are walking with you already, we pray that you would help us to take up this purpose to see the ways that you are at work in the world and to join in, knowing that we are first recipients of the grace that you give us. We look forward to your second coming. We pray that you would come quickly, that you would set everything to rights. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.